0: Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I just wanted to take the opportunity to invite you to a new Sunday night series we're going to begin on the first Sunday night of 2019. It's a series entitled 70 A.D. and the End of the World. In this study, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives and even do a study in the book of Revelation. My hope in this study is not to convince you of something you don't believe, but that we might just marvel at what God is able to do. So join us on the first Sunday night in 2019 for our study. All are invited to attend If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, because this message is entitled, Dangerous Ideas. Have you ever had a dangerous idea? A dangerous idea is something that you believe that is actually true, but it goes against the status quo, and so it's often suppressed. Many times in history, men and women have believed dangerous ideas, and they suffered for it. And they later found out that they were right the whole time, that that was the truth. And while this might make us uncomfortable, many times the ones causing others to suffer has been the church. For example, the Italian astronomer Galileo was persecuted by the Catholic Church at the command of Pope Urban VIII because Galileo believed that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the universe. Michael Servetus, a a Spanish physician and theologian, he suffered and died at the hands of John Calvin because he denied the legitimacy of infant baptism. Now, there are other things that he denied that he was wrong about, but that one he was right. William Tyndale believed that every single person should have the opportunity to read the Bible in their own language themselves, and he was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. It's a sad reality when people suffer for believing the truth. But it does happen. Today, power has seemed to shift out of the hands of the church, and ironically enough, Christians are often the ones who are made to suffer for believing the truth. For example, Ben Stein has a documentary out called Expelled where he talks about how scientists who believe in intelligent design are blackballed out of the scientific community. In other words, if a scientist looks at the overwhelming reality that none of this could have just happened and they even hint at the idea that someone must have created it, they are immediately banned from holding any kind of position in the scientific community, whether it be Cambridge or any other Ivy League school you're not allowed to teach, you are jettisoned out of holding any kind of position of authority in the scientific community. Doesn't matter what your degree's in, if you simply hint at the idea of an intelligent designer, you're thrown out. It's an interesting documentary. It's called Expelled. You might want to check that out. Before we continue, I'd like for us to, to be able to conclude that all truth comes from God. God is the one who reveals things to us, whether it be mathematics or philosophy or truth about Scripture, whatever it is. God is the one who reveals truth to us. And because God reveals truth to us, we have to also acknowledge that if God is the holder of truth, he also reveals truth to those who refuse to surrender to him. What I'm saying is is that sometimes God gives truth to atheists. Now, not everything an atheist believes is true. Certainly not that there is a God because God is the one that reveals truth to him. But truth is given by God because truth is exclusive to God. We see an example of this in John 11 when Caiaphas, the high priest who rejected Jesus as the Messiah, that he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Truth is given to him, and he even speaks it, but he refuses to recognize Jesus as God. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus promoted the idea that if God says it, it's true. And so when people discover things about the universe, they discover things about our bodies, they discover things about relationships or mathematics or whatever it might be. It's because they're discovering that the the things that God has spoken into existence Everything he says is true. Your word is truth. So when we see truth as revealed from the Father, we see him as the originator of dangerous ideas. Sometimes God reveals truth to some and they suffer for it. We find out later on, oh, they were were right the whole time. Now there is no greater truth by which people have suffered than for the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. We're going to see examples of this in our study today, but before we go there, I'd just like to take a moment and recognize that there may be some dangerous ideas that we have personally been presented with and suppressed. While we might not have burned anyone at the stake, sometimes we are presented with the truth, and just be honest, we don't want to hear it. And I think this should help us to recognize two things. First, we are no better than those who have persecuted others in the past for believing the truth. Although we have not personally burned anyone at the stake, let's not promote the idea that we, have done, we would do anything differently. Okay. Second, I, I think it, it's important to recognize that just because truth is right in front of us, that doesn't mean that we will believe it. And somebody will say, well, show me the evidence, show me the proof. You show them the evidence, you show them the proof, and they're like, well, I don't like that. And they refuse to believe it. I mean, it happens all the time. So let's look at what happens when God presents the truth to us and discuss what we can do about it. Let's, um, let's read John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. That's where we're going to be in today's study. This is what it says. It says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came And stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I send also you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, also called Didymus or or the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the imprints of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Well, eight days after, when his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them, Jesus came. The doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, and yet believe. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I'd like to thank you right now for this incredible opportunity to study your word. I know, God, we're given opportunities every single day to read your word, but God, we don't take advantage of them, and it's our loss. I don't take advantage of them, God, and it's my loss, and I just pray that as we come and we've studied your word that you would reveal your nature to us that you would reveal yourself to us give us the truth God and help us to if called to suffer knowing the truth give us the peace of the Holy Spirit I just pray that you would show us something incredibly powerful about yourself in today's passage that not only can you raise yourself from the dead but God you are the giver of truth pray god that you would just work in us through the rest of this message and that we just surrender all things over in your hands it's in these things i pray you in jesus name amen um so far in this chapter jesus has presented himself only to mary magdalene and the other mary that we see from the other uh, gospels which is possibly his mother in Mark sixteen eleven, we see that Mary obeys Jesus and goes to the disciples and tells them that he is risen from the dead, and um, she, has, she tells them she has seen him, and like I said in Mark sixteen eleven, it says they refused to believe it. Now, let me ask you, how do you think that must have made Mary feel when she knew the truth, but not a single disciple would acknowledge it? I'm willing to bet that she was pretty aggravated. That is, until later that night when 10 of the 11 disciples were in the upper room with the doors locked. And notice that in verse 19 it says the doors were shut because the disciples were afraid of the Jews. It's not hard to see why they would be afraid of the Jews. Not only were the Jews responsible for killing their Lord and Master, as John and Simon Peter had discovered earlier that morning, someone had tampered with the tomb and the body was missing. Who do you think the Jews would have blamed for that? once the truth had been been discovered. Well, we don't have to guess. The Gospel of Matthew tells us, Matthew 28, 12-13, when the chief priests had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you were to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. It's important that we see that the disciples didn't jump at the first opportunity to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they cowered in fear because of what this could imply. They fought the reality of the resurrection at every turn until we see in verse 19, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now, I'm told that peace be with you or al shalom. You have to get that in there when you say that. That It's a pretty standard greeting from, from one Jew uh, to another in Jesus' day. And while that, that might be true, I, I'd like to also introduce a Wallerism I think there is something greater to imply when Jesus says this to his disciples. Yes, uh, they would likely have been initially frightened at the sight of Jesus, uh, just as every person who's ever encountered an angel in Scripture had, uh, save Mary Magdalene in this chapter for some reason. Uh, but we, we, you know, we can see that Jesus gave them permission to calm down, so that's important. However, I think Jesus says this to his disciples three times in this chapter for a reason. I think that there is an overwhelming peace that rests over us when we know the truth. It's how peacefully ha- uh, people have pe- peacefully gone to their death when those who didn't know the truth persecuted them. Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." They don't know the truth, Father, and he was at peace. But then if you remember, before Jesus left his disciples, he told them in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It's Jesus' peace that he's given them, an overwhelming gift. The moment they recognize the truth that Jesus has risen from the grave, they have peace. And that's, that's what Jesus leads with, peace be to you. In verse 20, we see him show them his hands and his sides, and then they rejoiced, and they saw the Lord. So as Jesus promised, they would would grieve. But their grief would turn to joy, and no one could take their joy from them. That's exactly what we see in the rest of the Bible. Because not only does the truth bring, bring peace, the truth brings joy. Jesus tells them again in verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I have also sent you. Which, by the way, is why they were called apostles. Apostle means one sent. That's why also we see that uh, Paul is called an apostle because he is personally sent by Christ. In verse 22, uh, Christ bestows upon them responsibilities of this office. And and something a little obscure in this passage, very confusing. Verse 22, he says, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. This is an a, a, a obscure, confusing statement because, first of all, we know that Jesus promised he would not send the Holy Spirit until he descended to the Father. And why would Jesus put his hands on the men and tell them that they now have the ability to, to forgive or refuse sins? Uh, these are questions I've been struggling with with this week, and and I confess I don't have all the answers. But this is what I've, I've put together so far. You, you, you let me know if you agree with me or disagree with me. When Jesus said receive the Holy Spirit, I believe this wasn't when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, but this is because uh, that didn't happen until Acts chapter two. I believe this is when Jesus is sealing with the, them with the promise of the Holy Spirit by using His breath. He says in Luke twenty four forty nine Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, and that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. I also think what Jesus is doing here is is that he is proclaiming unto the Holy Spirit, not to the apostles directly, but on the Holy Spirit who falls on the apostles, that um, the Holy Spirit has this responsibility that he once had. If you believe that this is the role of the Holy Spirit at this point to forgive sins, those who are endowed with the Holy Spirit lead others to Christ where their sins are forgiven by the Holy Spirit. I realize this might be very confusing. Let me try to clear this up. Jesus served the role of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth. Uh, he went around forgiving people of their sins, and the religious leaders, if you remember, they became upset with him because he was making himself equal with God. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, he turns to uh, the the man who is... is is. Um, paralyzed, and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. They get upset, and he says in chapter 9 of Matthew, verses 5 and 6, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. But so that you may see that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And scripture tells us he did. So what Jesus is showing here is that he had fulfilled the role of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth, and now the Holy Spirit's coming, and so he's transferring over responsibility to the disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit, who will now play the role that he played in the world. He's passing the baton on to the Holy Spirit here. I don't know if that makes sense or if you completely agree with that. It's very confusing. It's very obscure. I don't have all the answers, so I'd love to talk to you about it if you got some time. I just kind of want to direct your attention back to Mary Magdalene for a second. Do you you remember how frustrating it must have been for Mary Magdalene when the disciples refused to believe that Jesus was alive? She knew the truth, but they just refused to believe it. Well, now imagine how more frustrating it must have been for the other ten disciples when Thomas refused to believe. Verses 24 and 25 gives us some insight on how Thomas refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. He says, Unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Why do you think he said those things specifically and didn't just end with, I have to see this for myself, guys. I have to see it for myself. I won't believe until I see. Why? Why all of those things? I think it's probably because, I'm full of Wallerisms today, I think it's because We see in verse 20, that's exactly what the other disciples got to do. They probably used their testimony of doing these things to try to convince Thomas that he had risen from the dead. He's alive. No, he's not. Yes, he is. I put my hands in his side. He says, well, unless I do that, I'm not going to believe. How frustrating they must have been with him when he refused to believe. Notice in verse 26 that Jesus lets Thomas sit in disbelief for eight days before appearing to them again. This time, it seems Jesus is coming specifically for Thomas. He says to Thomas, peace be with you. Furthering my belief that an overwhelming peace comes over us when we know the truth, peace be with you. Jesus, in an obscure way, seems to not only know everything Thomas said he needed for belief, but insist on giving it to him. Everything you said you need, here it is. I can just imagine the other disciples saying, I told you so, ha, 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 and Mary going, oh, yeah, well, I told you so, and you wouldn't listen, because I'm a woman. I don't know. Anyway. There's a lot going on in this passage. Let's just take a short break and address something that's really been bothering me in it as I studied this week. We commonly address this man with a title when we talk about him. We call him Doubting Thomas, and justifiably so. He doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead when all the other disciples had testified on the validity of the resurrection. But what kills me about this passage is that we criticize Thomas by calling him Doubting Thomas, and we remember him this way when it's impossible to do what we expected him to do. We are so quick to condemn him for his disbelief, but the reality is is that what he was asking for isn't unreasonable. He required some proof. And, and I just, before we go much further, I want to say that if you are a believer in Christ, you have received proof. Not a tangible evidence, but you have received proof through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So just goes right back to the fact that we say doubting Thomas. Thomas, you're so stupid. Why couldn't you just believe? Why did you need proof? Where's your faith, Thomas? Thomas. I love how Jesus gave him the proof that he was looking for. But I would quickly challenge anyone who suggested that they, if they had so many people around them saying they would have believed, you know, that they believed that they would have believed. If somebody says that if I was in Thomas' situation, I would have believed, I would be quick, quick to challenge them. Because first of all, there's no way for you to know that. Second of all, I went 19 years of my life remaining apathetic to the reality of the resurrection when people were all around me testifying to the truth. In short, people talked about it all the time, but I didn't care. I didn't care because God had not revealed the truth to me. This is the most dangerous truth of all time because of what it demands from us those who believe the truth that Jesus raised from the dead, we are called to be his disciples. And to be a disciple of Christ, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Christ demands your life. You no longer live for yourself, but instead you are dead to your sin. You are dead in your sins and you are resurrected to live in a new life. He lives through you. It's so ironic we remember this man as doubting Thomas. When after the truth is revealed to him through the person of Jesus Christ, he says the boldest, most audacious thing in all of the Bible. He says it in verse 28. Thomas looks at him and says, My Lord and my God. First of all, Not one other person says this to Jesus in any of the Gospels. Only Thomas goes so far as to say, you are God. Peter says, I believe you are the son of the living God. But here Thomas says, you are my God. Now This is important because the apostle Paul and Barnabas, they once heal a man in the city of Lystra. And the people who witnessed this miracle began to worship them as Zeus and Hermes as their gods. And Paul and Barnabas immediately began to rebuke them saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are the same nature as you. Acts chapter 14, verse 15. The same is true in every single case where we see angels appear to men and men and women fall down and begin worshiping them. These angels rebuke them saying, hey, I'm simply a servant of the most high God. Don't worship me. Yet again, we, hear, we see Thomas cry out, my Lord and my God. Notice Jesus doesn't say, whoa, 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 slow down there, Thomas. I'm simply a prophet speaking on his behalf. Jesus doesn't say, you're getting too far ahead of yourself there, Thomas. Don't call me God. Don't worship me. Worship the Father. Jesus just moves on. Which flies in the face of every single person who ever said, you know, Jesus never said he was God. While that might be true verbatim, he didn't correct Thomas when Thomas fell down and worshiped him as God, proclaimed, my Lord and my God. Instead, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. You believe I'm God, good for you. Blessed are those who believed. And not seen me. Now this initially seems like a punch in Thomas's gut. You didn't believe you had so many opportunities to. However, we must pay special attention to the word blessed in this verse. Partially because we can begin to see ourselves as really happy when we believe without seeing. Or that God is pleased with us. This word has less to do about how we feel about God, more more how God feels about us. So I guess we're on the right track. However, the primary meaning of being blessed is to receive favor from God. If you are a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ today, it is because and only because you have received favor from the Lord to believe. You didn't conjure up belief on your own because you looked at the facts. Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus purf- pur- purposely left out Thomas for eight days before revealing the truth to them. Why did he do that? Well, let me ask you a different question. It's frustrating when you know the truth and others refuse to accept it, isn't it? Sometimes it's more frustrating... Sometimes it's more than frustrating, it's just downright dangerous. For example, my wife suggested this week that my quality of sleep is being destroyed because of my newfound love of coffee. Now that's a dangerous accusation. But since I've stayed off it for a few days, I can now see that she was right. As painful as that is to admit. I'm going to ask you to keep in mind that God is the only one who delivers truth. Sometimes he uses my wife to do it. But God is the one who is the author of truth. And oftentimes, God gives truth to some and they suffer for it. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10... Verses 34 and 35, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Why all this hostility? Because some of these members of the household know the truth and others don't. It's because the truth is the dangerous idea. that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is the Messiah that was promised. He is God and people hate it. Much of the time we are presented with the truth and we just don't want to hear it. I wonder how many times in the 130 years of this church's conception, people have sat down in the sanctuary and had the truth spoken to them through the reading and studying of God's Word, and they not only refused to accept it, I wonder how many times people had become hostile towards it. And listen, I get the hostility aspect. I, I I know I'm no better. I've hated the deliverers of truth. I remember, you know, whenever I was in high school, I remember hating going to church with my girlfriends because for some reason or another, waiting for marriage was all the youth pastor wanted to talk about. I'm like, shut up, dude. Don't ruin this for me. However, the even greater truth is the world is hostile, hostile, towards is the reality that Jesus has risen from the dead, proving that he is God. Jesus doesn't simply want you to believe a story. Jesus wants your life. And if you believe that Jesus is alive, see that for the gift that it is. As believers, we are told we were encounter persecution for this belief because if they hated him, they will hate us. But think about all those people who suffered for what they believed to be true and now we blindly accept certain things and we don't even know their names. We know what they said was true, but we don't even know who they are. Anyone know the name of the guy who first fought for the truth that God is the Father, Son, and Spirit? That was Tertullian in 3rd century A.D. What about the truth that Jesus was both flesh and spirit? Nestorius in 5th century A.D. What about the truth that water doesn't save us? Ulrich Zwingli in the 16th century A.D. My point is, is that when God delivers truth to us, sometimes we must suffer for it. However, slowly people start to come around because God reveals it to them, maybe even eight days later. And if you know the truth, God has given it to you. Don't be afraid to stand up and proclaim it because that's what the Holy Spirit is for. He is that fourth man in the fire. He is the peace in the storm. There is nothing worth suffering for except the truth. So, I send you out. I challenge you. Let us stand up and proclaim the truth to a world that doesn't want to hear it, that might even be hostile towards it, but know that his peace is given to us, that his joy is given to us, and it can never be taken away. Let us stand up and proclaim the truth that Jesus is not only alive, but that he is our Lord and our God. Hey, thanks again for listening we pray that god blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life please remember to download our church app by searching fbc runky in google play or itunes and remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss another message if you have any questions about today's message you can contact us via facebook or twitter or use our website until then we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root grow and bear fruit and if so then let's get out there and get to work